0: FROM THE STUDIOS OF FARM JOURNAL BROADCAST, THIS IS U.S. FARM REPORT.
1: WELCOME TO U.S. FARM REPORT THIS WEEKEND, I'M TYNE MORGAN, AND IT'S A SPECIAL EDITION OF THE SHOW THIS WEEKEND, AS WE SHARE A CHRISTMAS COMEBACK. ON THE ONE-YEAR ANNIVERSARY OF THE MAYFIELD KENTUCKY TORNADO THAT LEFT A TRAIL OF DEVASTATION.
2: IT WAS TOTAL DEVASTATION JUST A FEW STREETS OVER FROM HERE THAT PEOPLE LOST EVERYTHING INSTANTLY.
1: We return to share stories of those helping make the Christmas comeback. And it truly was, amidst all this rubble and all this heartache, a, a
3: true spirit of Christmas.
1: Plus, a Christmas blessing in the Sierra Nevada mountains as signs of hope for an area struck by drought. And in John's world.
4: The insurance industry and climate change.
1: Now for the news. Well, it's a solid start to the season for western farmers in terms of moisture. Recent rains and heavy snow are finally providing some much-needed moisture to the area heavily impacted by drought. This video of UC Berkeley's Central Sierra Snow Lab reporting earlier this week that one recent storm brought 29 inches of snow, and the area saw more than 48 inches of snow over a seven-day period, and more was on the way. And all that snow really adds up. Check out these in numbers. According to California's Department of Water Resources, the northern Sierra snowpack is 165 percent of normal through Wednesday. As for the central Sierra snowpack, it sits at 166 percent and the southern snowpack is 213 percent of normal. That's an average water equivalency of about six and a half inches. It's close to one-quarter of the average snowpack, total of 30 inches needed by April 1st, to reach a normal water equivalency for runoff into streams as well as reservoirs. Well, Farther south, U.S. officials continuing to press Mexico regarding its plan to ban imports of genetically modified U.S. corn in 2024. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai meeting with Mexico's economy minister last week. She stressed the importance of avoiding any disruption in U.S. corn exports to Mexico, along with Mexico's energy policy. Mexico's economy minister saying the decree to bar imports of GMO crops into Mexico will be pushed back to 2025. The U.S. had threatened to enforce legal rights under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada deal if an agreement couldn't be reached. Well, after two back-to-back turbulent years, global fertilizer markets may start to settle in 2023. According to a new Rabobank report, a recovery in consumption is possible in some regions next year, with fertilizer prices lowering and commodity prices at historically high levels. And looking at this affordability index, it shows the relative price of a basket of commodities in comparison to a basket of fertilizer. Current price trends and volatility are in the line with a three-year cycle of peaks. If history does repeat itself, especially trends observed following the 2008 global financial crisis, then prices should come down in the coming months. Phosphorus and potash prices have already declined due to lower demand. And input costs continue to be a big concern for producers. And that did show up in this month's Ag Economy Barometer from Purdue University and the CME. The Ag Economy Barometer coming in at 102 in November, that's unchanged from October despite a shift in underlying sentiments among the 400 ag producers that were polled. The index of current conditions fell three points, while the index of future expectations rose two.
4: We continue to ask producers what their biggest concerns are for their farming operation in the upcoming year. 42 percent of the producers in this month's survey chose higher input costs as their top concern followed by rising interest rates chosen by 21% of the producers in the survey and availability of inputs and lower crop or livestock prices chosen by 14% of the producers in this month's survey.
1: That's it for the news. Well, a bit of a Christmas blessing for snow in the West, but can it continue? We have a check of weather next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Tendovo Soybean Herbicide, raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time. See how Tendovo delivers weed control without compromise at SyngentaUS.com backslash Tendovo. U.S. Farm Report weather is brought to you by H&S Manufacturing. H&S heavy-duty manure spreaders feature a two-speed apron-drive system and fiberglass-reinforced plywood sides to provide for easy cleaning and minimal freeze-up. Find out more about the H&S spreaders at the H&S website.
1: Well, the West Coast finally getting some much-needed moisture in the form of snow that we're talking about in the Sierras. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmer joins us with the forecast. Andrew, even more mountain snow is on the way this weekend.
5: And yeah, they are getting a lot of snow out across parts of the Sierra Mountains and Intermountain West as well. And in some of these locations, especially the Sierra Mountains, are going to be measuring snowfall throughout this weekend and the beginning portion of next week. Total accumulations into multiple feet. It could be looking at two to four feet of snow, maybe even some localized higher amounts. And this is going to end up being good news For these uh, drought stricken areas. Looking at the new drought monitor that was just released on December 8th, and again, there is still a lot of red out across the western and central half uh, of the country. And of course, uh, where that snowpack is uh, currently likely to grow, that is good news out there uh, for parts of the west coast. Meanwhile, the big difference here. Notice Tennessee here, Uh, if you remember last week, uh, we were into a moderate, even parts into a severe drought across the parts of Tennessee, much better improvement there uh, with uh, now seeing a lot of that uh, severe drought kind of being eroded and just kind of left to just uh, still dry, but not as uh, severe conditions as we were in last week walking through what we're watching for on this week, we're going to be watching a deep trough developing out across the Pacific Northwest that will continue to uh, grip parts of the western coast and eventually that will begin to work its way across the plain states and once that does happen that's going to spark a cold front with a deepening low pressure system and that's going to spawn the potential here for a major winter storm potential for parts of the northern prairie as well as parts of the upper portion of the Midwest and meanwhile down across the deep south the Dixie Alley likely is going to have a severe weather outbreak with damaging wind as well as a tornado outbreak as well. Uh, With that, the strong cold front, then as we head on into Friday to wrap up this coming week, high pressure begins to build off to our west. That'll help kind of kick this low pressure system and this cold front uh, off the eastern coast here, and it'll continue to bring uh, rain chances for parts of the Carolinas all the way up across the New England coast line. And taking a look at the jet map here, uh, you'll see that deep trough kind of developing nicely across the uh, country here, bringing with it chances for snow mainly for the western half uh, of the uh, US here and of course that will also increase the potential there uh, for some more active weather down across the parts of the deep south as we go throughout the first few days of this upcoming week. Temperatures this week where that trough uh, continues to develop, it'll be cold off to our west. Meanwhile, ahead of that trough, above average uh, temperatures can be expected across the Great Lakes as well as across the the east coast and deep south. But uh, once we head on into next week, I really think this cold is going to linger on here as we go throughout to mid-December with much of the lower 48 here kind of painted with at times of below average temperatures. I'm looking at precipitation for this upcoming week. Again, where that low pressure system does track across the northern player area and upper portions of the Midwest, that's where above average precipitation can be expected.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Well, was it updates to the U.S. crop or South America? That was the bigger surprise in USDA's December report. Joe Vaclavik joins us to talk markets next. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Well, we only have one marketing round table this weekend. So Joe Vaclavik is joining us now. First, Joe, we want to digest this USDA report that came out on Friday. December report, typically not a big market mover, and that seemed to really not be the case this year as well?
6: Yeah, there really isn't a whole lot to digest here. There was one change of note and one change that was kind of expected, I think, by a lot of people, myself included. USDA reduced its projection for U.S. corn exports, and that's something that I think was was pretty well telegraphed Uh, given the slow pace of sales, the slow pace of shipments, that should not have been a surprise to anybody. Uh, USDA did not touch the U.S. soybean balance sheets. They did not touch the U.S. wheat balance sheets. They also left all of their projections for South American production, uh, both crops in Argentina, corn and soybeans, both crops in Brazil, corn and soybeans. They left all of that stuff unchanged. I think personally, they probably should have or are going to walk back their uh, Argentina production numbers. They've got some real uh, problems there in terms of weather, excessive heat, drought, uh, planting delays. USDA is kicking the can down the road on that one, but that's something that I would almost guarantee is coming in January.
1: Yeah, and you did a really good job of giving us a snapshot of that report, but again, as Joe mentioned, uh, USDA did lower corn exports. uh, That created an increase in ending stocks. Wheat the supply side for 2022-2023, they left that unchanged. Uh, but global soybean, a higher production. And you talked about South America. We know December has not been perfect when it comes to weather for South America. But, Joe, overall, are we still expecting a monster crop there?
6: Uh depends on what you're talking about or where in South America. I think Brazil, which is the bigger of, of the two big soybean producers, Brazil has all the potential in the world to produce a record crop. The Brazilian government, uh, CONAB, which is like Brazil's USDA, they had their government report out uh, the day prior, and they're still expecting a record soybean crop in Brazil. Argentina is going to be the the problem, and we've already seen some whispers of, of drastically lower Argentina soybean production. I think that's the reason why we saw the sharp rally in the soybean meal market this past week. Argentina is the world's largest meal exporter. By a really wide margin so the uh the the rally that we saw in the soybeans is being led by the meal i think because of these issues in argentina so it's a mixed bag i mean combined you could still very easily see a record combined brazil and argentina uh, soybean crop but but argentina is going to have some problems and brazil is is not perfect they've got dryness in the south there's some problems There's no such thing as a perfect year but they've still got you know all the potential in the world for the most part
1: You know, USDA acknowledging the trouble that we've seen with corn exports. And like you said, that has been been pretty advertised. But when you look at soybean exports now heading into 2023, considering that there could be some of those problem areas, South America, you talked about soybean meal. Do you think that that does continue to support soybean exports here or are you cautioning that there could be some trouble as we head into the new year?
6: Uh, we actually saw kind of an increase or an uptick in soybean export sales just this past week. We saw a, a week of export sales reported by USDA Thursday morning. That was quite a bit better than expected. China was the largest buyer there. And then we saw some pretty big flash sales on Thursday morning as well. So if that's a trend that continues, um, yeah, I think the soybean export program could be just fine. A lot of that, of course, is going to come down to just how big is this Brazilian crop. If it's as big as advertised, um, maybe the USDA is a little bit too high with exports. If, if they run into some problems in Brazil and the crop's not all it's cracked up to be, we could export even more. It's, it's tough to say, um, but a, a lot of it, I mean, I'd say the majority of it is going to hinge on Brazilian production prospects.
1: Joe, after seeing such an impressive year in 2022 for cotton prices, boy, we are closing out the year just on a low note. Uh, you know, when you look at prices right now and, and really some of the adjustments that USDA is making, it does not seem like we are buying any cotton acres next year. And I know it's early, but as you look at the cotton market today, do you think we are losing some of these cotton acres to things like soybeans at this point?
6: Uh, I think that corn is what's winning. If, if there's an acreage battle going on right now, corn is probably what's winning uh the the farm budgets that i've seen indicate that corn is the best economic bet for the farmer which is kind of interesting when you consider the fact that we've got all these new crush plants coming online here the next couple of years uh we're going to need some more soybean acres or at least that's what a lot of uh, traders and analysts believe yet the market's not signaling that at all so in terms of the the economic side of it i think corn and in terms of the big cash crops is probably the best looking deal for the farmer. Now, granted, you know, a lot of guys stick with normal crop rotation, but if if there's one crop that, that really wins out in terms of the numbers, <clears throat> I think that that crop is corn as of right now. And that's a constantly changing situation. If we've got an acreage battle, it's going to continue for another, uh, you know, two, three months.
1: Okay, real quick, not a huge shift in the supply and demand balance sheet in this latest report, but what do you want farmers to know as they close out this year?
6: Um, you know, the, the big concern to me, like from a risk management standpoint, is that the cost of production to plant corn, soybeans, or whatever else, I mean, for most crops, it's going to be record high in 2023. And, and the margins, what you, the kind of money you can make growing these crops, it still looks pretty good, even when you uh, combine the record high input costs with uh, the, the new crop delivery prices. But those new crop delivery prices are, are not guaranteed. Markets fluctuate and can fluctuate drastically, so I just, I think there's a lot of risk associated with planting a really expensive crop. Uh, that would be my my biggest concern to kind of end the year as you start thinking about 23.
1: All right, Joe Baklavik with Standard Grain, thank you so much for joining us. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. Well, whether it's the recent hurricanes in Florida or the tornado that struck the Mid-South last year, issues with insurance claims, seems to be a reoccurring theme. John Phipps has more in John's World this weekend.
4: A few weeks ago, I responded to an email from a viewer about the spiraling cost of his farm owner insurance. The writer pointed out he hadn't had any claims or premium payment issues. So I think it may be a good idea today to review the basics of property and casualty, or PNC as it is known, insurance, and what the future might be like for both insurers and customers. PNC insurance is based on the theory of big numbers. To get an accurate calculation of risk, you need as much data as possible. Premiums and risk are based not on individuals, but large groups, so that any one single claim uh, cost will be spread over the whole group. In the case I mentioned, one owner's claim would then be covered by the pool of premiums from others. Obviously, the smaller the insurance company and its geographical coverage, the more chance that a larger share of its customers could be affected by the same event, like a tornado. Insurance companies are constantly calculating the odds of such events. To make sure they can pay the claims, they buy their own insurance from aptly named reinsurers who could then work with even bigger numbers and calculate even more accurate risk exposure. There can be multiple layers, but eventually you get to the giants of the reinsurance industry like Swiss Re, which represent the top tier of the $5 trillion insurance market. Due to sophisticated models and constantly improving expertise, the last decade has the entire industry unsure of their future. The driving force is not local or even national, but global. Roughly stated, the possibility of events like the California wildfires or the Queensland floods caused claims beyond anything insurers ever imagined. Damages are driven up by soaring rebuilding costs and unprecedented intensity and frequency of weather-related events due to climate change. Companies are already warning, it may not be possible to offer insurance for risky areas at any cost. The mathematics of future underwriting will become a larger factor in where and how we live. Insurance costs may supersede mortgage rates or property taxes for home buyers, for example. We've been in before with flood insurance, which the government had to take over when insurers simply said, no thanks. In fact, if global warming does reach current projections based on failure to curb emissions, private PNC insurance may disappear altogether. Financial exposure will simply be too great for any investors and premiums simply unaffordable. While current PNC insurance may seem inadequate or unfair, for the time being at least, it is available.
1: Thanks, John. And we're revisiting Mayfield, Kentucky, one year after the tornado hit. That's coming up later on the show. But first, a toy tractor collector's dream just in time for the holiday. Tractor Tales is
0: next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Pioneer. Pioneer combines leading-edge R&D with rigorous local testing to create seed innovations proven to thrive in your fields. Pioneer. What's next happens here.
4: Hey folks, we got a treat for you this week on Tractor Tales. We're headed to Iowa to check out the Lamar's Toy Store. Just in time for holiday shopping.
7: It may be one of the largest farm toy stores in the entire country, right here in Lamar's, Iowa. Between the store in downtown Lamar's and several warehouses, Albert Schultz says he has over twenty thousand pieces of farm machinery, making it one, if not the largest, diversified offering of farm toys in the U.S.
8: Now there are people that you sell more a one-of-a-kind item, a box toy, or maybe a semi truck or something like that's a specialty. We say diversification. We are by far the largest.
7: But what attracts customers from across the country is the unique restoration and custom fabrication they offer.
8: We do about 600 customs a year, about 354 general restoration pieces a year.
7: Schultz has 13 fabricators that work to make signature pieces for collectors that end up being family treasures.
8: People want something more like they have themselves. So when you get into the customs, it's a specialty deal what they're doing, they're building heirlooms for the family. Or they bring back their collection when they were kids from 50, 60 years ago. Can you restore the old John Deere 60 or or pick it for us? Yes, we can. And that's a cherished piece for them, too. So that goes in their own personal collection.
7: The Lamar's Toy Store also gives back by donating custom items to charity auctions for kids with cancer.
8: A year ago, we built a tractor was a 40-20, one-eighth, about 35,000 on the auction. Most of our toys bring 10 to 15, 20,000 on their options. It 100% goes to curing for cancer.
7: So they're making lasting memories for past and future
1: generations. Well, just one year ago, Mayfield, Kentucky, was forever changed by a tornado that left a path of destruction. A year later, we revisit what happened that night, but also share stories of how the community continues to rebuild and find joy in the help that's landed there over the past year. Clinton Griffiths joins me for Christmas Comeback next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. A Christmas Comeback is brought to you by Case IH. Case IH equipment is designed, engineered and built by farmers. See their stories at builtbyfarmers.com
9: Hello everyone, I'm Kurt Coffey with Case IH. One year ago today, in a town very similar to the town that I grew up in, a devastating and deadly tornado barreled through the town of Mayfield, Kentucky. While many of us were shopping for gifts, attending holiday parties, and planning a Christmas meal, the people of Mayfield were blindsided by the most destructive tornado ever to touch down in Kentucky. In the aftermath of the storm, the community and the country responded in the best ways that they could. Yet, life continued and the residents of Mayfield were left to pick up the pieces. Now, a year later, they continue to rebuild and they forge ahead. Today, on the anniversary of this tragic event, the KSIH family wants the community of Mayfield to know that they are not alone. The fact is the agriculture community is strong and resilient, just like the people of Mayfield. If you would like to make a donation to help with the ongoing rebuilding efforts, scan the code on your screen or visit agweb.com, and when you're there, click on Christmas Comeback. Thank you very much, and have a blessed holiday season.
10: Hello, and welcome to A Christmas Comeback. I'm Clinton Griffiths.
1: And I'm Tyne Morgan. We're in Mayfield, Kentucky, standing at ground zero of where catastrophe hit one year ago, just two weeks before Christmas. Over the next 30 minutes, we'll revisit what happened that night and in the days following that rare December storm but also show you how the entire community came together to rebuild as the town was changed in just minutes.
10: And we start right here in Mayfield in December 10th, one year ago.
3: Since Tuesday of that week, uh, we had been hearing on the local weather stations uh, uh, that something could possibly be headed our way. I've never been in my basement before for a storm. Never, I'm not afraid of a storm. I'm still not afraid of a storm, but this was different. i so firmly believe it that meteorologists, the local weather service at Paducah, the, uh, saved lives that night.
1: On December 10th, 2021, the deadly tornado brought devastation.
3: I live four blocks from town and had no damage whatsoever, but I heard it. And so I foolishly thought, you know, maybe we've escaped
1: this. As first responders began to wade through the rubble, they started to see the scars left behind. And when Chief Creason came back, he said, Kathy, it's
3: just, it's it's awful, it's bad.
11: The only light source in downtown was one light running off the generator at the fire station that had been uh, severely damaged during the tornado.
1: With some structures barely standing with severe damage to just yards away, others barely touched. The calculus of destruction to this rural town was cruelly selective
3: we have a residential area just north of it just starts right at city hall and extends northward
1: and all those homes were just gone you couldn't even tell where homes had been just two miles from downtown mayfield jackson purchase medical center escaped a direct hit dave anderson says the 107 bed hospital was only left with emergency power but the team sprung into action in the most miraculous way
11: Probably the thing I'll never forget about that night is we didn't make a single phone call to staff to have them come to the hospital that night. They just came.
1: Even when there were desperate calls for more help, the community didn't quit. From surrounding towns to an unexpected call from the president of Lifepoint, which owns and operates the hospital in Mayfield, Anderson quickly learned Mayfield wasn't alone in this fight.
11: I had heard of this generator truck that we have, but I didn't really have an idea what the full capability of it was. And he said, and I've got two 8,000 gallons of FDA approved fresh water uh, that are also rolling towards your hospital and, and should be there by, by nightfall.
1: And the emergency response was swift and dire as the tornado claimed 24 lives in Mayfield Graves County that December day.
11: For the morning of the 10th and, and uh, gonna go do, do the walk remembrance.
1: As Mayfield remembers those lives lost on the anniversary, the response that flooded in from across the nation has been fuel for this rural town over the past year. It just proves
3: what we've always known about people here in this community and now the the nation, the world knows what we're like and and it proves to me that that feeling of everybody's your neighbor
1: And Clinton, it was farmers as well as other community members who were the first on the scene, clearing the way for first responders to rush in right here. But the agriculture impact stretched for miles.
10: Plus, how those devastated still found joy during the Christmas season thanks to the generosity of strangers.
1: In celebration of Mayfield's hard work to recover from the tornado, we threw a little party
10: last week. That's right. We enjoyed meeting with people from this terrific town and getting into the holiday spirit with cookie decorating, hayrides, and a whole lot of hot chocolate and of course, Santa. And we also got to sing Christmas carols with American Idol contestant
1: Alex Miller who was excited to perform for people in his home state.
10: So as you can see, the work here in Mayfield isn't finished. this town still has a lot to celebrate.
1: Yeah, that's right, Clinton. The weeks after the tornado hit, this community rushed into action, delivering help where it mattered most.
2: It was unbelievable the destruction that we saw on, the, on this town.
1: These are just some of the images of the havoc that blanketed Mayfield a year ago.
2: The water tower just over over there fell and, and if, they, if the wind didn't blow their house down, the water just washed washed their home down the street.
1: Stephen Elder
2: captured the aftermath
1: just minutes after the tornado hit.
2: It was total devastation just a few streets over from here that people lost everything instantly.
1: Elder admits those weeks following the catastrophe were a blur, but what happened in the midst of the rubble may be what defines this town for generations.
2: We put a GoFundMe out there and I thought, well, you know, if we get $25,000, we'll, we'll be able to do something. Well, little did I know, over a million dollars came into the GoFundMe. And it's, it's overwhelming just to say that. A
1: community foundation started in 2018 was still small and fairly new. But Elder says it was the best vehicle to put out the call for help to the rest of the world.
2: We can accept donations and then we can get those donations directly into the hands of the people that were affected. And that's
1: exactly what they did. From buying mattresses for people from a local furniture store, to buying beef from local producers, Those necessities were dispersed to local families, effectively and efficiently.
2: Helping with utility bills. We did just a number of things, real quick things to help people get back going.
1: But the work didn't stop there. With all the homes lost, it left many families homeless in Mayfield. A big task, but one the foundation was willing to take on.
2: We're the first supporters of Homes and Hope for Kentucky. And we've just built our 19th home, uh, working through the Mennonites.
1: Now working with a long term recovery group, the goal is to build or repair 25 new homes by Christmas It was on the same day that the uh,
3: RVs came from the state government and the governor was here and we gave keys to four or five of those away that day, then broke ground for the first homes.
1: While rebuilding has started in parts of Mayfield, downtown is still eerily vacant. Scars of the tornado were in the form of rubble. Stoplight poles mangled on each corner of the square and the courthouse now missing from this iconic area.
2: So we've got to figure out how we're going to redefine ourselves and how we're going to commit to rebuilding so that the next generation does have the opportunity to stay here.
1: The desolate downtown is a daily reminder of the work left to be done.
2: You always
10: get that sense of, are we going to make it? I believe that we're going to make it. Wow, talk about tragedy that turned into a tale of redemption.
1: Yeah, and if you still want to donate to the ongoing recovery effort, and as you can see, there's still a lot to be done, you can do so by using the QR code on your screen or visiting this website, recoverymayfieldgraves.com. Well, next, the agriculture impact of the tornado a year ago is one that's still evolving. From the grain void left by the storm to others still working to pick up the pieces, our Christmas comeback
10: as the sun rose on December 11th, it revealed the extent of the destruction left behind. But even while the road to recovery continues, the fact that farmers had a crop to harvest is pretty incredible amid the rubble. Debris still scattered in the fence rows, pieces of metal jammed into trees. The damage carved into the countryside along the tornado's 220 mile path. Davy Stevens farms in Western Kentucky. The night of the storm, he pulled his neighbors, also his landlords, from their house and took them to the hospital for help. The days following the tornado were surreal.
2: By the time we got our head wrapped around it, it would have probably been a week after that. At that point, we started having to pick up in the fields and
10: then some days you can't pick up the fields. We had grain contracts to do. He says a quarter of his farmland was covered in debris. It took until April to clean it up. Thank
2: goodness there were some farms we could just put off and and allow planning schedules to go around that
10: farm and just say, we're not done yet with it because there's just too much debris in it. Pieces of poultry houses scattered across fields, forcing crews to pick and clean from one end of a field to the other. The local USDA office says in this area alone, the price tag for farmland cleanup topped $2 million.
2: There were so many days we took we took two dozers and you just worked on farms. My mother-in-law's farm took nine, nine or 10 days to clean up. I mean, from the debris to the brush in the field, uh, just tree lines destroyed, everything.
10: While Stevens was able to plant, he had to travel miles to find an available elevator as Mayfield Grain now looks like this.
12: There was an immediate effect there on you know grain that was stored and then where to sell their product this year. Um, so it's, it's been impactful to the farmers here in Grace County.
10: To date, the elevator remains closed, unable to get repaired. Fencing was another major loss. While some ag businesses struggled to rebuild, others were more fortunate.
2: There was a million dollars worth of poultry barns that you're looking at in in West Kentucky and for the most part they made it through the the tornado pretty well.
10: For him the greatest assets remain the farmers who answered the call for help.
2: It was really humbling to see that first Saturday morning when you're going by and I know most of the 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 vehicles driving by are my farmers pulling their excavators and pulling their dump trucks and they're just digging rubble.
12: We provided meals on our parking lot here at Wade Farm Financial Services up until May, three times a week.
10: They also planted a community garden to aid neighbors wiped out by the storm.
12: Farmers help each other out. They help their neighbors out. When there's a disaster, they all jump in and help their neighbors.
10: A helping hand, as farmers and the agricultural industry here work to piece not only itself, but an entire community back together.
12: I still tear up when I drive downtown. It's really hard to get your head around.
10: And yet, bit by bit, piece by piece, Mayfield is reclaiming its future, forging a bond stronger than any tornado can tear apart. The largest employer in the area is Pilgrim's Pride. It didn't escape the tornado, but it sprung into action to help the community as you'll see next. Plus, how Compassion took control a day after the tornado hit, a remarkable story of a teenager who knew no limits.
1: Well, Mayfield wasn't the only town impacted by the tornado outbreak. Less than an hour east, the University of Kentucky's Research and Education Center in Princeton suffered heavy damage, including the Grain and Forage Center of Excellence building that had just opened in 2019. Over the summer, the UK Board of Trustees approved a $38 million plan to rebuild the main building. Officials are hoping to complete the work in time to celebrate the center's 100th birthday in 2025. Well, businesses in Western Kentucky were also hit by the storms, including Pilgrim's Pride, which has a huge presence here in Mayfield. And what they had to do to get back up and running is an incredible story.
10: At Pilgrim's Pride, there's pride in the fact these lines are still running processing some 1.9 million birds a week.
13: Every day is different I mean we we stay busy Uh, there's no consistency in the chicken business so uh, yeah it's 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 very busy.
10: The county's largest employer with some 1,350 hands-on deck supporting more than 250 family farmers did not escape last year's tornado unscathed.
13: When I first saw it I'm like oh my god Uh, Mayfield has just been Severely damaged. I mean, it was it was something you, you you see on the news, but you don't you don't see it at home.
10: Two hatcheries and its feed mill were damaged. Trucks were destroyed, making
13: continued operation a challenge. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to feed our chickens? Uh, how are we going to hatch our birds? I mean, when you don't have a hatchery and you don't have a feed mill, it's it's kind of hard to do those things.
10: That's when neighbors, fellow farmers, and even other companies stepped in to help.
13: And it was a huge piece just to coordinate all that. I mean, I had some guys just scheduling the feed, some guys scheduling the the hatching, some guys scheduling the birds going out. I mean, it was was different.
10: And while the company found its footing eventually getting one of the hatcheries up and running, the people that make up the workforce were also dealing with fallout from the storm.
13: We had four families, I think, that actually lost their homes, but we had like 14 other families that had damage.
10: Those competitors donated trailers full of food, dry goods, water, diapers, and blankets. While corporately, Pilgrim's Pride also gave back in time, resources, and monetarily, donating $1 million to help rebuild homes and another quarter million to rebuild the
13: park. At the end of the day, this whole community came together and and I do believe uh, Mayfield will be stronger from this.
10: A moment of pride for a company and a community as they continue their race toward recovery.
1: In May, Pilgrims announced a $1 million donation to the Hope Initiative. The money is being used to build 10 houses for families displaced by the tornado. Well, still ahead on Christmas, come back a teenager who let compassion take control and let the skies lead her to help. Plus the Mayfield Cardinals football team seemed to use the town's heartache to fuel their journey to the state championship game this year. It's stories you won't want to miss next.
10: From the rubble rose some touching acts of kindness.
1: And two specific efforts were carried out by teenagers who saw no city limits or competition that day. Setting in her home, two hours from Mayfield, Mary Shock learned about the turmoil just like every other teenager that night.
14: I saw, you know, I saw it on that news, and you know, I sat up all night watching, you know, it was ha- it was happening here, but not as bad. So I was up all night, you know, with the storms.
1: But the next morning, she had a calling to help.
14: I knew that I had the resources. I knew that nobody else could really drive. The semi trucks were turned over, the roads were blocked, but the runway is only 3,000 feet and all they had to do was clear it and I could be there with so much supplies.
1: But this wasn't a flight she did every day. At 16 years old, this would be Shock's first solo flight.
14: I I was trying to get my hours, I was trying to fly solo, but I'd never been on a mission.
1: Within 30 minutes, she had the approval to make the trip. And that's when Shock got to work.
14: We we put out there, we're opening the doors to the church in a local community, a few counties over, and we're opening the doors to the airport. And anybody that wants to bring something, you just bring it, you drop it off.
1: From baby formula and diapers to trash bags, she jetted off with the necessities in tow. We
14: pulled over there, I mean, was within five feet. Uh, we unloaded everything, and um, from there, people from the city came out to the airport and dispersed it to where it needed to go.
1: But she knew her work still wasn't done.
14: Then we eventually took some Christmas presents um, more towards the end of the month, towards Christmas.
1: Last December, Shock put a desire to help into action.
14: Those people didn't deserve that, and I, could, and I knew I had to do something.
1: And as Compassion took flight that day, that same month, a town nearly five hours from Mayfield refused to let Mayfield stand in solitude. Last
3: year, on November 26th, this team, Beachwood High School of Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, we met them in a semifinal game and we were not, we did not come out the victor. And just two weeks after that game,
1: Beachwood marched into Mayfield with help.
3: Here came people from Beachwood, their football team, Fort Mitchell people. They brought money, they brought supplies,
1: they brought their hearts. From foes on the field to friends on that December day, they brought their help. That's a That's a pretty cool thing. What Onan describes as a football school here in Mayfield, the Mayfield Cardinals fought the entire season this year to bring joy to the community. And that's exactly what they did. We have the fourth best winning record in the whole United
3: States. That's a wow, that's a wow for our little
1: school. They made it to the Class 2A state championship this month, and you'll never guess whom the Mayfield Cardinals met once again. That's right, Beachwood, with the two mayors documenting the emotional occasion.
3: He and I are going to meet on the field and we have a presentation to give to the city of Fort Mitchell and the high school of Beachwood. This is a very special event.
1: What these teenagers learned this year can't be taught in a classroom or coached on a football field. Life lessons on how to be selfless servants, even if it's hundreds of miles away. You're not sitting them down and saying, this is how you treat people. They are witnessing it.
3: They are witnessing it by doing it and by seeing how we help each other. And it's from the heart.
10: Congratulations to the Cardinals on a successful season and to the entire community of Mayfield that proved you can weather any storm through faith and determination.
1: And while there's a lot left to be done, it was an honor to revisit Mayfield, Kentucky a year later and share their stories and their road to recovery. And a special thank you to KSIH, And I thank you to all of you for joining us for the special edition, A Christmas Comeback.
10: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.